The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, welcome to another edition of Round Ball Ramble. I know it has been a minute. I'll explain in a second. My name is Corbin Ford. You can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is a Hoop Ball presentation, so check out Hoop Ball on Twitter at Hoop Ball Tweets. Thank you, Friendly Motorcycle. Online at hoop-ball.com. Definitely make sure to check on that up-to-date news for anything fantasy-related. You got your team-specific podcast. You got, of course, yours truly here. We have another podcast with a host I'm about to introduce to you very shortly. But first, I have to explain the absence. It's been about, I'm going to say two weeks now. Um, computer fried. Pretty much long and short of it. So um, had to adjust on the fly. Couldn't do that immediately. Found a way. Made it happen. Here we are. Um, and we back. And so we got some NBA stuff to do. I have a mailbag episode coming this week for sure. Um, we're going to start our power rankings um, this week as well. So we'll have an episode for that. Of course, we keep the birthdays going with the NBA bash and everything as well. So definitely make sure to keep in line for what should be a very fun week. But today, I am pumped to have on a special guest, a host of his own podcast here with the Hoop Ball Network. It's called The Birds Rights Podcast. His name is Stephen Bagel. You can find him on Twitter with that, again, aforementioned Bird's Rights Podcast, and that's literally the Twitter handle. So definitely make sure to check that out at Bird's Rights Pod. B-I-R-D-R-I-G-H-T-S Pod. Steven, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Oh, dude, no problem. I'm pumped. I'm excited. Listen, uh, by the time this kind of comes out, you'll have already um, checked out Stevens, I hope. And if so, you'll find a friendly voice. Yes, that's myself. Me and uh, Steven and I actually went and basically graded every front office in a very fun uh content packed two-hour show almost um 30 to 1 tears all of that a lot of fun so definitely make sure to check out that deep dive for sure but um steven real quick let the listeners know like what is the birds rights pod what are you hoping to bring um to the show what can listeners expect uh just kind of a little uh four and one on it okay so basically, Bird Rights is a front office podcast where I talk about the front office aspects of the NBA, such as, you know, um, you and I spoke about, I do a mock offseason, mock trade deadline. So I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be bringing those to the Bird Rights podcast. And obviously, fantasy basketball is more than just guys and stats and the teams they're on. But, you know, there's a lot of dynasty league talk where, how are guys going to stay on their teams long-term? What are their contracts? What do their outlooks look like on those teams? So I gave a different perspective. I bring that front office perspective to the Bird Rights pod where, you know, I talk about this player could be on the move. This guy could be getting more minutes eventually because this guy's going to be on the move. So it's a different aspect of fantasy basketball that I'm bringing to hoop ball. And again, it's something I'm very passionate about. I love the front office aspect and the business side of the NBA. So I have, you know, expertise on every front office in an aspect and why teams do what they do. And I want to shed light on that for our listeners. It's going to be a lot of fun. So listeners can expect a lot of content. I'm sure not only just the ins and outs of the offseason, as you've already done a coaching ranks podcast, or not ins and outs of the offseason, rather ins and outs of behind the scenes of franchises. Um, you already did one on the coaches pod. You're going to have one now um, on the front office. So like just more 
looking at the same game just from a different level, different perspective. Yeah, and my second episode before we did our official launch of Blood Rights Pod on Hoopball, I did a John Wall podcast and really talked about how big of an albatross that contract actually is. And I think I put together, it was either five or six trades that, okay, these are realistic given how poorly his contract is, but here's what you could expect, one of these five teams because of this, this, and this. So go take a listen to that. If you're a Rockets fan, you want to see, you know, what you could get for John Wall and yeah, the Rockets really aren't in a position to give away draft picks because they're rebuilding. So that's simply what it takes to get off a contract like that. So it's an interesting dynamic that I explained on that episode. Definitely. I mean, that definitely sounds exciting. I am for sure going to tune into that. Again, listeners, we'll plug it again at the end of the episode, but at Birds Rights Pod. Definitely make sure to check that out. But today, Steve and I are just going to look. We're a couple of weeks into the NBA season. Uh, and you know what? I wanted to have a guy on from the off, off, off front office perspective. Don't know why I keep wanting to say off season. It must be the rust of getting back on the show. Anyways, uh, Steve and I basically have a little, just a few teams we're going to talk about uh, with the moves that we liked and moves that we didn't like from the off season, how that's kind of extended to now uh, with a little bit of hindsight, a couple weeks, just seeing how things work so far, early returns. We're just going to revisit that here. So um, Steven, before we start, what was your kind of major takeaway from the offseason that just happened? Were you surprised by a lot of moves? Were you not surprised by a lot that happened? Just like your general takeaways before we kind of focus in on some particular teams. My biggest takeaway is that the East is trying to get a hell of a lot better while, you know, the West, like, we'll get into it. I didn't like a lot of teams, like the Pelicans, for example. I didn't like a lot of the moves that a lot of Western Conference teams made. And I feel like, you know, for the first time since... Again, I was born in 94. I haven't really seen the East overtake the West. And I think we're starting to see that shift, given, Mm -hmm. you know, the East always has the higher draft picks because they always have worse teams. And now, as a result, they're all excited about their young guys and they're all trying to make those moves to get to the next level. So that was my biggest takeaway, that there might be that, like, shifting of the guard between the West always dominating the NBA to the East starting to take over. And yeah, there was a lot of surprising moves that, and a lot of surprising non-moves that, you know, I forecast in my mock all season that came to fruition that didn't come to fruition. So yeah. I definitely have to agree with the East got a heck of a lot more competitive really quickly. You saw some teams like, I mean, it started last year. I want to say in terms of like making moves that were like, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're in this, we're trying to make an impact here and do it early. Um, and yeah, I mean, notably the Bulls. You look at the Nets filling around the edges. Charlotte made moves as well. Atlanta, um, definitely some moves around there that we got to talk about for sure. But I, I thought was interesting was even the Wizards. We kind of alluded this earlier, you know, in our, in our well, earlier in, our, in the other show that we did together um, beforehand, just talking about how the Wizards went and made um, a big, I don't want to say a consolidation move. They kind of made the opposite of that, where they said, okay, we need to replenish our depth and the way we're going to do this by taking out one guy and Russell Westbrook and bringing back in a host of other players that, you know, together collectively can do more than Russ did, even though individually one player may not be as good as Russ is. I say may not be because Russ has not had the best start to the year so far, but um, yeah, with that being said, let's, I thought we'd alternate just a couple teams, like maybe three or so between the, the cup between the two of us of teams of moves that we liked or didn't like, or team specific off seasons that we liked and didn't like. So being the guest, I want to throw it over to you. Um, what's one team that you want to kind of start the conversation on here? Do you want to start with best moves or worst moves? Ooh, 
what do you think is the juiciest here? Here we go. I'll leave that to you to decide. I think juiciest is the worst news. Let's do that. So, oh, you want to do that? Okay. Wait, wait. You said, wait, what did you say? I think the worst moves is the juiciest. So do you well, want to start yeah, with that? Yeah. Well, you know what? We probably, let's do the, let's do it. Let's do the best first then. And then get to the worst. Okay. You're right. Save the juicy okay. for it. Listeners got to get to it. Let's go. <laughs> okay. So best, I, there wasn't anything that really stuck out. Obviously the Kyle Lowry sign and trade Miami, as we talked about on my pod a couple of minutes ago, mm-hmm. they look like the monsters. Like they look phenomenal. They Obviously the, we know they're going to have issues scoring, but just like the defense, the buying into the heat culture, everything is falling into place for them. So and they, real, they didn't even have to give up a pick to get it. It was Press Sachua, and they got the Raptors to take Gordon Dragic, which I'll get into. But they, they really – they gave up a guy who – in Ochoa, who was never going to start over Bam Adebayo. I mean, they really didn't give up a whole lot in order to get the deal done. So that's – I mean, that's a good recipe for success – getting, you know, a borderline all-star guy, even though he's in the twilight of his career and not giving up a whole bunch in order to do it. I have to agree there. I mean, Miami went, they brought in guys, like you said, uh, specifically Lowry, uh, of course, PJ Tucker, Markeith Morris as well for some depth at that power forward spot, uh, being able to re-sign Duncan Robinson, uh, keep Victor Oladipo on like a make good deal, even though we won't see him to the latter part of the year. Um, and then Udonis has him because, you know, locker room culture and whatnot um and extending jimmy butler and losing yeah goran Dragic, who had kind of had a slip of a year last season andre gadala went back to golden state kendrick nunn trevor reza both to the lakers namani bielitsa who just wasn't being utilized i think uh as much in miami as he is in golden state um and of course precious actual who went over for lowry i do think you're getting someone who averaged between 17 points per game five rebounds seven assists at just under 40 percent from three and at age 35 like you said kind of in the twilight years for sure but still has a couple of good years left and he's in a role where he's not gonna have to hoist so much of a burden so you definitely hope that plus the addition of that miami Heat culture and getting guys by to the best of their abilities um will maximize the remaining years of uh Lowry's playing career here but I like Tucker as well and you have the space that you need with Robinson on a five-year 90 million dollar deal which considering the market for shooters as soon as last season isn't that bad yeah and I don't know they're gonna have to pay Tyler Hero now so all of a sudden that team's gonna get pretty expensive but again Mm -hmm. they're a good team in a big market so that shouldn't be a huge deal to them to you know go pretty deep into the luxury tax um, do you have anything else to say on the heat? Cause I want to tie into Manjabia into my next point. Uh, let's go right to it. Yeah, I'm good. The Golden State Warriors. When Namanjabia won EuroLeague MVP in 2014, he wasn't a stretch forward like he is now. He was like a playmaking point forward type guy. And the Warriors recognized that, said, okay, when we have Draymond on the bench, we really run an offense through Draymond as a point forward. We could do the same with Bielitsa. And so far, the results have been phenomenal. We know they brought Iggy back, and Otto Porter even said when he signed with Golden State, I had deals for the mid-level exception. I took a minimum because I want to be at Golden State. And those type of guys, the Bielitsas, the Iggy Dallas, the Otto Porters, they fit what Golden State does in their switching scheme. Everyone touches the ball. Everyone defends one through five. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just – it's working. And they brought in guys that they knew would fit, and they've done a phenomenal job with it. Given that, you know, they just had the highest luxury tax bill ever, which is why they let Kelly Oubre walk. But signing three guys on minimums just about, and Bielitsa, Iguodala, and Otto Porter, you're getting the best bang for your buck you could get out of anyone else's offseason. 
That is true. Golden State definitely made some moves, I think, that they needed to make in terms of getting guys on on, on cheap deals. But like you said, with the, the, the ability to maximize the production from those guys, they had a couple of lottery picks that they cashed in on with Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody. We'll see how those pan out. They re-signed Steph Curry for whatever he was going to be re-signed to would be a bargain, just given how he played and as an all-time great. But four years, 215. Um, and you add that to the veteran um, newcomers in Otto Porter and Bielita, like you mentioned, they did as well as they could for not making a star trade. And now they're set if they want you to be buyers before the trade deadline. And so that's cool. You do have a guy as a two-way forward with ability in terms of Kaminga. Moody's another guy who um, could see some early in run while Clay Thompson's still out, but someone who has already, you know, from, I think not only summer league, but preseason, um, even some minutes here in the season so far has been pretty solid. And then, yeah, you said it, getting Porter on a minimal deal, that's amazing. Um, unfortunately, you know, the whole Kelly Oubre experiment didn't work out great. Um, and he was their third leading scorer and he basically got away for nothing, but that whole, you know, that was a swing and a miss and every team has them. So you can't really jump too bad on Golden State for that, but all in all, yeah, I give them a solid B plus, maybe even an A minus just for how good they're able to get everyone going here. Yeah, and right now they have the best – them. they have the best record in the NBA. I think Miami has, I think, the third best record in the NBA. So those are the first two teams we highlighted. Clearly, it's early in the season, but so far what those teams are doing are working. So Yeah. You have any other team you want to go? Actually, I could share one real quick. Yeah. While, um, okay, cool. While we're going back and forth here. But uh, one group that – one team that I really thought was solid in terms of having – um, uh, kind of staying the course with the Phoenix Suns. I wasn't too high on them, and I, I do got to knock them first. We're going to get that out of the way early. Um, we could probably jump in later if you have more on them. The the, uh, the, the lack of foresight in re-signing DeAndre Eaton, I think, is just a very, very dangerous one um, in terms of where he could be moving forward. Um, uh, whether that does fray some like relationships between the two whatever the case may be obviously with robert sarver there and the issue that just came out most recently about him um there's a whole nother can of worms to go there but like for a team that, was, that just made the finals you know they tried to maintain that continuity uh they were able to find extensions for mikhail bridges and newcomer landry shaman who is 24 and a career 39 shooter from deep so that's pretty solid uh you bring back chris paul that was the most important order of business for their for the Phoenix Suns and that four year, $120 million contract actually is pretty more team friendly than it appears to be, especially since that fourth year is non-guaranteed and only 15 million of that 30 million that's due in the third year is promised. So if things go south quickly, you know, Phoenix definitely has an out and they were able to re-sign Cameron Payne to a three year, $19 million deal, uh, which not only works out in terms of having a cable backup, but also keeps his own minutes in check. We're also having another guy now for Peyton, who you don't want to really break glass in case of emergency, because if you're doing that, then it's probably a mess. But at the same time, as a defensive-minded guy who can bring the ball to the court. It's kind of what you want there. Um, I do like uh, the addition of JaVale McGee as well. Uh, having someone who has a backup center can replicate the type of play that you get from DeAndre Aiden in terms of a rim-running kind of big who's active around the basket and rim deterrent. So I'm definitely big on that. I did not like the loss of Torrey Craig. I thought he'd be a lot more impactful um, and probably should have got a lot more time for Phoenix than he did. But it is what it is there. But ultimately, I think that considering where Phoenix could have gone, which wasn't really a whole lot, I give them a high grade. I knocked them a little bit after the eight and stuff because they literally everything they had to do was right in front of them. And that was like one of the biggest check marks. And it was so much so that Chris Pauling brought up during the postseason saying they were going to give the man a bag. Well, guess what? We're here and it didn't happen. So definitely not there. But all in all, I will give the Suns a positive grade. Yeah, and that loss, the, it's the same thing I said about Bielitsa being a huge upgrade for Golden State. That loss of Toy Craig for Phoenix, 
You know, it's it's shown to be pretty huge because Phoenix was best last year when Dario Saric was playing the back of five, and you know they had a more switchable scheme, the same way the Warriors do. And Tory Craig stepped up as that back of five when Dario tore his ACL in the finals last year. So wow. now they replaced him with JaVale McGee, who's more of obviously a more traditional center, but the results haven't been great thus far. So it's just Very interesting true. to see how a small move, like letting a guy like Tory Craig walk, the, how that could have such a big impact on your franchise. True. So, but I mean, everything else you said, you're spot on. Aiden not signing extension. I think that has to do more with Robert Sarver than the GM. Um, I think Robert Sarver is just about the worst owner in the NBA. So it doesn't totally surprise me that this happens. Yeah. But otherwise, I mean, Phoenix, if something's not broke, don't fix it. I mean, they're already, they won the West last year. And obviously that's what they're trying to do again. Yep. So good for them, kudos to them. Um, the only other team I really wanted to highlight was my team in the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay. Um, just because like, Davis Bertans two years ago was so good. The Wizards signed him to what? Four for 64, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And he's making $18 million this year. The Sixers were able to get Furkan Korkmaz on three years, 15, and George Niang on two years, 6 million, which adds up to 21 million for three years of Korkmaz, two years of Niang. While the Wizards have a guy like Davis Bertans on one year, 18, or one year just this year, he, he has multiple years left on his deal, but $18 million just this year. It yes. just shows what a GM like Daryl Morey, how big of an asset that is. Because he convinces a guy like Korkmaz to take three for 15. Korkmaz right now, 10 games in this season, is second in the NBA in fourth quarter scoring. He's a 40% three-point shooter. He could handle a little bit. He's our best pick-and-roll guy, um, pick-and-roll ball handler. George Niang was a rotation player on the team with the best record in the NBA last year. He's been a huge upgrade over Mike Scott at the backup four, and he's a stretch four alongside Embiid or Drummond that the Sixers need. I mean, Daryl Moy hit a home run with those two guys, and I don't know if I'm biased because I watch every Sixers game because I'm a supporter <laughs> and a Sixers fan, but so far they've done, those two guys look like two of the better contracts in the NBA. No, that's I mean, you broke down the the, the ability to make key re-signings at a, at a cost effective rate is, is pretty good. Um, and that's what they did. They capitalized on that. I like the fact you were able to bring up the comparison for how much they're paying in shooting across two people for multiple years in comparison to how one team's paying for one shooter across one year. And he just happens to be in the down year as well. So it definitely does help in the 76ers favor for sure. Um, hey, the fact you can watch the product firsthand is also a key sign in their favor. So definitely give you points for that. Um, the other team I am going to nominate just for best moves would be the Utah Jazz. Um, you know, listen, they basically had one major thing they had to do, which was re-sign Mike Conley. Uh, he definitely could have received a lot more than the contract he ultimately agreed upon, but he ended up getting a three-year, $68 million deal from Utah. Um, that last year is a partial guarantee, uh, $14 million of that $24 million that he's supposed to get in its entirety. So there is a little bit of um, flexibility there for Utah, uh, should they see fit to capitalize on that. Um, but not only that, you, you have a team that, yeah, they, it, that deal for Conley did push the deeper into luxury tax. That is why, unfortunately... Derek Favors was a casualty of that as well as a first round pick to the you know who picked them up uh, Oklahoma City Thunder but they were also able to get some bargain basement kind of fills around the edges with uh, Hassan Whiteside who I definitely think has had a good start to his uh, Utah career but definitely was a bargain basement signing to begin with that was pretty good Um, in addition to that Eric Pascal who has had more of an opportunity than Golden State um, and is already a good friend of 
of course, Donovan Mitchell. So that's great as well. And then, of course, one that I was really, really high on was uh, Rudy Gay. I think that him being able to play um, at that three, kind of four, even five roll at spots, can shoot and defend off the bench. That's another great signing for a team that still has just one of the, the best regular season collections of talent for sure. Um, and a coach who knows how to maximize that. So definitely big on them. I think losing George Yang was, was kind of rough, especially like you said, for the price point, it was signed for um, Derek Favors. But again, for a team that was already going to luxury, wanted to re-sign one of their key players and still maintain competitiveness at the upper echelon of the Western Conference, Utah had their orders and they went and filled them out to the best of their ability. So definitely give them a high grade for that. Here's my thing with Utah. I don't hate it. I agree with a lot of what you said. Fixed the biggest mistake that front offices make. And that's giving the whole mid-level exception to a big. You just, you don't do it, especially when he's your backup big. I mean, if, okay, let me re-correct myself because if he's your starter, then okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. But for a backup center to give you a whole exception to, it just, it doesn't make sense when you can spend it on a wing or like a shooter or a point guard or whatever. Anything's more valuable than backup big man. So they did that with favors. They signed him to the full mid-level exception, uh, three years worth of the mid-level exception. Then they got off of that, which they should have because as you said, they were luxury taxing. They, I feel like they could have extracted like a Lou Dort out of OKC in that deal. Mm-hmm. By, because they gave up a first-round pick to get off Derek Favors. They just said, oh, well, we'll give you a first-round pick. Give us Lou Dort. He's on a minimum. It wouldn't cost you anything else. It probably would cost you like an additional second rounder. They need athleticism on that team. That's a deal that I foresaw that it happened, but it didn't happen how I thought it would. Well, the Thunder was still able to hold on to Lou Dort. Yeah. But, I mean, I do like the addition of Eric Pascal. But, again, same thing. They spent the whole mid-level exception again on Rudy Gay when they could have had George Niang for a third of the price. Uh, yeah. So, again, it's nitpicking, but they, they, they have the best truck in the NBA. There's not a whole bunch to fix, but around the edges, I think they could have done a hell bit better. I, I can agree with that. I, I think in a vacuum of going for one year in terms of championship contention, I like Rudy game more than Yang, and maybe I'm a little biased in there, but uh, long-term, I do agree with you, and the basic tenets of that mid-level exception and where you want to target that, totally agree with you on that for sure. So there is a little bit of that going forward. Looking again at the price point that Yang ultimately got, you know, it does give you cause for pause for sure. Um, and I have to, again, re- like remind my, like Rudy Gay's level of play at this point, but watching a lot of San Antonio basketball and seeing how he played, I saw the immediate upgrade there and I went, okay, you know what? Like that's a tangible guy that can fit in as a starter and raise the floor of that team. Um, or the ceiling rather. Yeah. But anyway, no, I agree with you there. And you made a great, very good point about, um, that mid-level exception, that's something to keep in mind. So definitely with you there. Um, do you have any more good grades you want to give? I will throw one to Washington. Um, like I said, you know, you trade Russell Westbrook and you get Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell. Uh, you incorporate into that move Aaron Holiday. You draft Corey Kispert. You bring in Spencer Dinwiddie. That's a lot of people um, for one guy, basically. Although you did lose Robin Lopez, Alex Len, Ishmith as well. But getting off the contracts of John Wall and Westbrook in back-to-back seasons while getting some good role plays in the process, I think is great. Um, they have a lot more depth, a lot more roster flexibility. Um, so far, they've been a better team than the one that made the playoffs last season. And so you have a healthy Dimwitty right now. You got, you know, some good guys here in Harrell alongside Daniel Gafford, uh, the returning Thomas Bryant when he gets healthy. 
Kuzma's going to get more touches, and he's been, eh, he's been okay. So far, I like what the Wizards have done so far. Yeah, and the this happens more often than people realize in the NBA if you don't have, like, a front office perspective on it. But getting rid of a big, untradeable contract like Westbrook and breaking it down into three mid-tier contracts makes it a hell of a lot easier to swallow because you could always flip those three mid-levels into a team with a trade exception or get something else or break that into two smaller ones. Like, the Memphis Grizzlies are the best at that. Like, they got, for example, like Marcus Saul, they, they got Jonas Valanciunas and Delone Wright, sign and trade Delone Wright elsewhere. They saved $10 million. Um, they did it with um, getting Jared Culver from Minnesota. I forget who they, um, who they gave up to get him. It's not coming to me right now. But they, di- they do moves like that where – okay, let's take this big contract and break it down into two or three components. And then, you know, those two or three components can all of a sudden become assets that that one big contract wasn't. So yeah. that's, that's GMing 101, and the Wizards hit a home run by doing that. No, definitely. They're very solid there. And, yeah, that Grizzlies uh, trade, basically uh, the Grizzlies acquired um, what? They had acquired – they had sent Patrick Beverly to the Timberwolves. Um, or, no, they, they had got – yeah, huh? Yeah, and then they got Culver and Juancho and Gomez. So – yeah, that and was. Yeah, they, they broke down those two contracts. Oh, Patrick Beverly's 13 mil into two smaller contracts, flipped Wancho Hoon and Gomez to Boston. And um, they did the same thing with Grace Now. He wasn't making a whole bunch of money, but they knew they weren't going to extend him either. And then they got Sam Merrill. He made the team. They got Chris Dunn for Wancho Hoon and Gomez, saved a few million dollars off there. It's just, it's for a dead roster spot, it's good GMing to, you know, say, get that savings flip large guys into smaller contracts and then you know smaller contracts are always going to be easier to move definitely definitely really good play there um by tommy shepherd and the way he attacked the offseason and came away with a team that's better equipped now to uh, hopefully impress be able to stay long term yeah and again that has to be your priority unless as we talk about on my podcast unless the wizards decide okay it's time to rebuild which doesn't seem like that's something they want to do, but mm-hmm. it's going to be up to Beal. He's a free agent this summer, and we got to see what he's – where his head's at. Yeah, exactly. But, okay. I don't have anything in particular else on any team hitting home on this offseason. Okay. I do want to give credit to the Atlanta Hawks and Charlotte Hornets for their drafts, though. I mean, the Hawks got Jalen Johnson at number 20 and Sharif Cooper at 48. I had Jalen Johnson as a top eight pick and Sharif Cooper as a top 20 pick. So – I mean, just great talent evaluation. Jalen Johnson, there was a lot of speculation on if he loved the game. Um, he left high school early to focus on Duke. He left Duke early to focus on the NBA. Mm-hmm. And then that led to those speculations. But, I mean, he's a great point forward. I think he's going to be a great backup to John Collins if they could move Gallinari sooner rather than later. And Sharif Cooper, I compared him to Trey, a poor man's Trey Young because he's very small. He's about 5'10", 5'11". But – so people said he can't defend because of how small he is, and he's not a great shooter. But he was the best playmaker in this draft. Going to be a great backup point guard to Trey Young. Yeah. So, and then the Charlotte Hornets, same thing. They got James Booknight, 11. Kai Jones, number 19, who was number six on my big board. JT Thorne, number 37. Same thing. These small market teams that are up and coming, like the Hawks and the Hornets, they just keep accumulating talent. So when a big fish like Bradley Beal or Zach Levine or Damian Lillard become available, the Hawks especially, they have a package, and you and I have talked about this previously, they might have the most compelling package in the NBA because of that. Yeah, yeah. All the young talent they have with decent contracts that they could use the salary match. 
Yeah, and go from there. You're right. Very, again, these are very smart plays, very good, like you said, signings in order to kind of better equip themselves, not only just for now, but in case they want to flip part of those picks into that bigger and better moves. Totally, totally agree with you there. All right, so I guess we've kind of gone from the best. Now we get to the juicy part, we get to the worst. I'm going to throw it over to you, Stephen. Uh, let's, let's go into it. What were you looking at that you were just like, yo, what, what's going on here? Okay, there's six teams I have on this list. Ooh, six, let's get them. So let's start with the New Orleans Pelicans. Please, let's do it. Because I, I get Stephen Adams to balance units was an upgrade, but it's not – Stephen Adams just – he looks much more like himself than he did in the Pelicans. Pelicans didn't use him correctly on screens, on pick and rolls. That's, that's where he thrives. And the Pelicans didn't use him in that aspect, and that's because I don't think they really had the gold play to use him in that aspect. Mm-hmm. So obviously now Stephen Adams is a much better fit alongside John Morant and Jan Jackson Jr. So – those plays anyway, reflected that, too. Yeah, they gave up a first-round pick to move off the mistake of signing Stephen Adams to a two-year extension, and then they did that before ever seeing him play a game with Zion, and then they trade for Valanciunas and do the same exact thing, sign him to a two-year extension before ever having seen him play with Zion. So the letting history repeat itself in that aspect. Um, and it's saying... What am I looking <laughs> to say? Basically, that... Um, the letting history repeat itself on something that previously hasn't worked. Because it's not like Valentinus is a stretch father that's going to be great next to Zion. He's stretchier than Steven Adams is, but same thing, it's not a clean fit. No, so, it, it isn't. And then, and then we talk about Devontae Graham. He's probably a downgrade to Lonzo Ball in the aspect of playmaking, defense, and shooting, and they gave up a first-round pick in order to do it. So mm-hmm. I just, I don't love what the Pelicans did, I don't know what the hell David Griffin is doing, but I think it's going to result in Zion not even signing his rookie extension and wanting out sooner rather than later. Yeah. No, I agree with you completely. Just to to give a first-round pick, just to facilitate that deal for a lesser player, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think that the deal that was in place for Ball four years, $80 was reasonable. Um, and if you're trying to not match that, then do that, but only if there's a better backup plan in place. And there was not. So not only do you say, okay, fine, we'll let him go, despite it being a pretty reasonable deal. We're going to give him a first right, first round draft pick for the privilege of letting him go. And then we're only getting a second rounder back from the Bulls for ball. Like, that's ridiculous. I just, I don't get it. I think that, you know, when they started off making the moves of trading Adams and Bledsoe, like, that was solid. I mean, yes, we're rectifying a move that they shouldn't have made in the first place, but fine, they made it, and they're trying to, you know, start making some playoff runs here. Fine, you bring in Jonas Valanciunas. That seems like a perfectly good addition to the team. But then after that, everything's a mess. I just don't understand what the plan is there. Um, and just to sum it up, they brought in Jonas Valanciunas, Devontae Graham, Garrett Temple, Thomas Sanaransky, and Willie Green as the head coach. Uh, they re-signed Josh Hart on a very weird one year, you make the decision. One year, I make the decision if this union should continue. Um, and then, of course, losing Lonzo Ball alongside Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and James Johnson, who really is of no, no note here. Um, it's just weird. I, I just don't see the direction, and I really think that that's because there is no direction. And that Eric Bledsoe move that the Grizzlies made when they traded for him with Steven Adams, that was another move that I was just talking about. Well, they took Bledsoe, broke him down into – other salaries such as Pat Bev and mm-hmm. Rondo. They had to buy out Rondo and Daniel Toro, mm-hmm. but they were able to then get Patrick Beverly, turn that into Juancho Hernan Gomez and Jared Culver because 
everything with Chris Dunn. So they ended up breaking down again into smaller and smaller deals. And again, you just, you mentioned that to me. That was another reminder of an example of what I was getting at before. So, okay. The next team I want to talk about is the Dallas Mavericks. And the Mavs, we always see them have cast space and nobody ever really goes there with it. So they ended up making the trade for Christos Porzingis years ago because they wanted that second star with Luca. Obviously, that's been a disaster. They ended up re-signing Tim Hardaway Jr., which at that point, your back was against the wall. Tim Hardaway Jr. is probably second-best player. What other choice do you have than to sign him for $60 million? And, you know, they brought in Reggie Bullock, who I like. So they did a few okay things, but then, like, it's the fact that they didn't really, as far as I know, no reports came out that they really didn't attempt to get off of Kristaps. Mm-hmm. Like, if they traded Kristaps and, like, a second-round pick to get Kemba Walker, I guarantee you OKC would have done it when OKC acquired Walker. And Kemba's at least that secondary, again, I don't love what he is anymore, but he's a better fit in Dallas than Porzingis is. And, you know, they could have done something like that. They hired Jason Kidd, who's a bottom tier coach in the NBA. They just made a lot of moves that I, or lack of moves that just don't resonate well with me. And, you know, when you have a guy like Luca, you got to appease him and they just, they didn't do that. Yeah, they really didn't. I'm not really sure. Uh, I kind of feel like it's like a middle of the pack kind of um, kind of off season for Dallas. Um, I like the fact that they were able to, you know, re-sign Tim Hardaway, um, bring in uh, Reggie Bullock as far as some shooting as well as Sterling Brown. Um, Moses Brown was a nice pickup as well in terms of a guy who can, you know, be a rim running kind of big. Um, at the same time, and they extend Luka Doncic, of course, five years, two or seven million. That was a no-brainer. Getting to sound the dotted line, considering the lack of moves they have done on his behalf, I think is really good. Um, but yeah, the roster just has way too many big men right now, so they're, they're imbalanced between Porzingis, Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell, uh, the re-signed Boban Marjanovic, of course Moses Brown and Willie Colley Stein. That's a lot to have there. Um, you do have that kind of weirdness in going from. You lost Josh Richardson, that's fine. You bring in a great shooter in Bullock, but you haven't really made moves to be a title contender. And where else are you if not there? You know, you're not, you're already a playoff team. Like, you're not making any meaningful moves moving forward. And now is kind of the time to do that. I agree with all the other points that you made. Uh, I guess the only big thing they did to really save this offseason was signing Doncha and Maddox extension. Yeah. And I want to use the Dallas Moose to get into the Trailblazers because they're a similar team. Well, there was a lack of a move to be made. And Portland, Damian Lillard basically said this summer, oh, I want to see what we do. And then, you know, they didn't do a whole lot from there. They, they locked up Norman Powell, which, okay, yeah, that's cool. But, and even if they didn't sign him, they, it's not like they would have had cap space. So that's why, okay, you have his bird right, sign him, whatever. I did like the Larry Nance move a lot for them. I'm glad that that's at least somewhat in the direction of keeping Dam. But Larry Nance alone isn't going to be oh my God, we got Larry Nance. I got to stay now. Like, no, Dame's not going to, you know, that's not going to be the guy. No. So they got Tony Snell. They got Cody Zeller. They got Ben McLemore. That's about it. Like when Dame's saying to you, I need to see what we do in order to get me to want to stay. Like I want a championship level team and you're barely willing to go into the luxury tax. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's not what, I guarantee you it's not what Dame was looking for. No, 100% not. And I agree with you. Like, these are not the moves you make for a team that is trying to prove that Damian Lillard has a title contender on his hands. It's just not. Um, Bringing in, like you said, 
Lance, Nance being the, the, the biggest move, Macklemore, Zeller, Snell, like those guys are not moving the needle in any tangible direction. Uh, you re-sign Norman Powell, that's great. And then, of course, you know, losing Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor did wonders for your defense in addition by subtraction. And But then again, after that, you're kind of stuck. I mean, Zach Hans didn't do a whole lot, so that's fine. Derek Jones Jr. had a disappointing season. But you didn't really do anything that moved you uh, from the 29th overall defense last year up in any meaningful direction, in my opinion, aside from adding Nance. And there's nothing else that you could point and say, you know what, this is going to vault Portland in contention status. You just have to hope you have another strong season from Dane uh, McCullum and then hope the other teams have some regression. And that's not what you were looking at when you got clear directive basically from Dane to kind of pick this team up going into the offseason. Yeah, and then there was the whole Shanti Billups fiasco where Shanti oh Billups, yeah, I mean, they just, they brushed it off, brushed all the sexual assault allegations under the rug, said, oh yeah, we handled it internally, we did an investigation, wouldn't explain the investigation at all, it's just, it's, it looks poorly on the organization, and now, you know, Neil O'Shea is being looked at for workplace misconduct, like, it's just, it's n- nothing that they've done is going to say to Dame, okay, yeah, they're lucky Dame's loyal as he is, because if I was him, I would have asked out by now. <laughs> Exactly. And we talked about this in, our, in the last show we did together, um, of course, on the bird rights and, and concerning loyalty. Um, we were talking about Minnesota with Kevin Garnett and Carl Towns. And it's like, at what point are you looking at them being loyal because they're just loyal people and in regards to the franchise and what they've done to earn those players' loyalty? And I think, just like we mentioned those last two players, you look at this squad right here in Portland with Dame, Dame's trending just to him being that kind of guy, less than Portland being the kind of team to make moves to really look out for their main player. Yeah, and again, how long is Dame going to stay loyal? Like, he's saying, I have 10 toes in, Rip City. Like, he wants to win a championship, though. He's made that well-known. Mm-hmm. But, like, it gets to a point, like, even James Harden was like, okay, yeah, it's just, just this just isn't going to work out. Like, mm-hmm. it's clear to everyone. It's it's sooner rather than later, and a lot of it is Neil O'Shea's fault. Yeah, so, a lot of the size of his feet. That's that's for sure. And now, I mean, this is, I thought they had a horrible offseason as well. I mean – if you were to give them anything other than like a C, I'd be like, wow, that's, that's generous. Yeah. Um, the next one I'd want to talk about is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. Um, Interesting. Larry Nance was just about, again, I don't want to exaggerate it, but he was just about the best player last year and the intangibles that he brings and like the winning plays that he makes. Um, you let go of him. For the right to sign Larry Markin into $60 million to be your seven foot one small forward. Signing <laughs> Jared Allen to $100 million. You could have traded Colin Sexton. You didn't. Now you're going to have to pay him unless you're going to sign and trade him this summer. Like, as I said on the podcast on Bird Rights with you this morning, they're going to be the most expensive luxury tax team ever. Like, they, it's just, they should have just kept Larry Nance on his very reasonable team friendly deal and instead, they paid a crap ton of money that Larry Markinen isn't worth. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. You're right. They, 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 they went way in the opposite direction in terms of, uh, like, basically generally assessing a player's value and going from there. That did not happen here. So very disappointing there for sure. I was wondering why I didn't have that big of a grade against them aside from that. And even that was more like a C minus D plus for me. I thought they did a really good job drafting Evan Mobley where they did, especially the way he's been able to play. Um, there is still a log jam with him on the roster alongside Kevin Love, who says two years and 60 million on his contract and isn't willing to discuss a buyout. 
So it isn't giving you production when he was playing. So you have a problem there. Um, trading for Rubio helped with the backup point guard spot, but I thought it was more of a move you make for some competitiveness, which I guess Cleveland's trying to do. Um, but the Cavs also needed some wing help. They didn't really have a three. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot. I'm marketing, my bad. Um, but before that, you know, they had traded um, Toy and Prince, who shot 41% from three in Cleveland to kind of get Rubio. So I just don't understand what Colby Allman has been doing. Uh, that four-year, six, seven million dollar deal was definitely an overpay, um, especially with a few teams that had any type of cap space to really make that uh, worth it. Like, oh yeah, we had to because XYZ team was there. That wasn't what was here. So I don't understand um, what's going on here, but I guess you have to start marketing because if not, then you're paying a backup 17 million for a guy who's never going to be your starting power forward for as long as you have Evan Mobley healthy and ready to play. So it's just a big mess all around the board. Um, it's unfortunate that Cleveland went that route, and I just don't understand why you would part with Nance, who really helped establish the Cleveland culture, just to overpay a newcomer who doesn't fit in Larry Markkinen. Yeah, and again, it's weird because, like, Colin Sexton was on the trade block and they didn't trade him. And, like, again, I think they are planning on signing and trading him because, like, Isaac Okoro is more of a two than he is a three. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're going to play really big or really small this year. But Sexton, I really like the fit in OKC for him. And OKC is one of three teams or some of that at cap space. I would love to see the three-goal lineup of Colin Sexton, Josh Giddy, and SGA. And they're, they're going to have to, you know, consolidate their picks in the cap space eventually. So, like, why not do it on a 22-year-old guy who could drop 24 points a game? Like, that's a start. So sure. I think they're waiting, thinking they could get something because I just I can't see any way they extend him when they have to extend Gone and they have to extend Mobley and they just paid Allen a hundred mil and Markin in sixty mil a year and then by the time I guess Okoro and Garland would be getting paid, Kevin Love would be off the books. I just don't see a team like Cleveland paying that kind of money to be this bad. No, it's not so. something. No, <laughs> exactly like you said, they're just a very. A ridiculously overpriced squad that doesn't have any really hope of doing anything. Yeah. And there's two teams I have left. One of them, we, we actually talked about both of them on bird rights. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about Toronto and Toronto doesn't find themselves on this list often just because of, you know, Masai Ujiri is one of the better front office guys in the NBA, but I really didn't like how they handled the Kyle Lowry sign and trade. I feel like they could have gotten more for him at the trade deadline. I mean, if they really wanted Precious Achua and Goran Dragic, they could have gotten that at the trade deadline and then declined Dragic's option and turned that into cap space. They didn't do that. They waited for Dragic's option to be picked up and then, you know, took on his contract when he's not even in the rotation right now. He lost out to Delano Banton already. So they should have done what the Heat did in the sign trade with Jimmy Butler, where they, the Sixers told the Heat, hey, we'll take Josh Richardson, but you got to find somewhere else for this on Whiteside and find a 13 to take him. Mm. Dallas would have gladly, gladly would have found a way to take on um, Dragic from Miami. But it, it, Toronto just said, no, nah, we'll take Dragic. It's fine. In my mock offseason, I had him taking a guy like Taylor Horton Tucker, who obviously fits their timeline a lot better. Yeah. They'll get younger. I don't want to say they're rebuilding, but they're definitely retooling with Ananobi and Van Vliet and Siakam and Scotty Barnes and Achua and all these other young guys. Taylor Horton Tucker would have been another great piece, but you could have gotten Achua still a year earlier and then had Dragic for half the year and then declined his option to turn that into cap space. You chose not to do that. So it just it doesn't make sense on um, 
why they were willing to take on Dragic unless they really thought they were going to get like a first round pick out of him, which at yeah. this point would be very ambitious. <laughs> I mean, literally, you took all the words out of my mouth on that. Like that, that, that was a team that I thought was interesting in terms of how they went about the offseason, especially when you're part with a guy who's been around literally a franchise cornerstone. But when you break it down like that, I mean, there really is no excuse for their long term outlook and how they position themselves. Yeah. And again, it's Toronto hits way more than they miss. So yeah, they do. This one, this one, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like blimp in the radar or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. One, um, like a record scratch moment. They still, on it's, the radar. Still, it's still an expiring deal. So it's not like they took on any long-term money. Mm-hmm. I just feel like, you know, they could have used a cast space better this summer and they didn't. It, it could have been used, utilized in a more effective way, for sure. I mean, right now, then to have a guy who's basically not going to play while you figure out a move. And we talked, like you said, on the Bird Rights pod, just what they could have done theoretically with that money had they had it and how they aren't going to get anything even close to that in a return now for a draw. Like, that's just not going to happen just because, like, that was never going to happen. You know, theoretical cast space for a team that's competitive and makes smart moves in the front office or, you know, a return for a 35-year-old guard who's fading. You know what I mean? Like, you know, with which only one team really specifically wants that they specifically want to trade with. Like, yeah, it kind of, like you said, it's kind of self-explanatory there in terms of where they want to go moving forward. So totally agree with you there for sure. And I, I've been saying for a while that Dragic's going to Dallas for Dwight Powell and Moses Brown. It still hasn't happened, but Toronto, I will note, did just cut Sam Decker, who was a 15th guy. So they did open up a roster spot for a potential two-for-one. And again, Toronto has a real center rotation in the NBA. I don't know if they want... Ken Bush and Chris Boucher and Tress Sachua and Dwight Powell and Moses Brown. But mm-hmm. I mean, you're not using Goran Dragic at all. So maybe there's a subsequent move to make after that. But I, I don't know. It's just, it, I, I don't understand this. It's not something that we see. Yeah. It's not something that's like readily apparent. And that's kind of concerning because if it's not readily apparent, maybe it's not there, you know? All right, and then we get to your final team. So the last one we're going to talk about here, what team would that be? I have a guess, but I'll let you go. This team, a lot of people actually praise the offseason and champion them for, you know, making smart decisions because this team usually doesn't make intelligent decisions and they've been a bottom draw for quite some time. Oh, yeah, I know team. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yes. The New York Knicks. So a lot of people like, oh, I love what they did in keeping Nolans and keeping Alec Burks and bringing in Kemba, bringing in Fournier. And, you know, they're finally competent. So run it back. They got a few extra pieces they were four seed last year. Got a hell of a bit better so you could expect better things. I think last year was a fluke. Julius Randle will never play like that again. And, you know, the Knicks whole thing for years has been let's show we're competent and convince the star to come here with all the cap space we have. They yeah. finally go through the competence to the point where maybe they could land to star, and then they use all the cap space. Of the edges. So now they're not, you know, we talked about on Bird Rights where I said, okay, maybe they could, you know, do a sign and trade involving Emmanuel quickly and like Alec Burks and Obi Toppin. But sign and trades aren't a guarantee. And again, cast space isn't a guarantee either. But if a guy wants to go there, you have cast space, you could get it done. Unless yeah. they restrict it. And then obviously, there's that whole can of worms you have to open. But I just, they went away for years because they weren't able to be competent. And that's why they couldn't land a star. Finally, they showed they were competent. They got Tibbs at the helm, who's a competent coach. And they just, they wasted the cast space on Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier and Alec Brooks and Nolan's Noel. Nobody. That's a difference maker. 
And again, I think the talent they had, the more of a playing team than a four seed. I think last year they completely overachieved. So maybe they could prove me wrong if they play more like they did last year. But again, you finally are competent and maybe Bradley Bill or Zach Levine in the summer want to go there and you have no cast space to make it happen now. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I have to agree. To a certain extent, I disagree a little bit in the sense I gave them actually a B. I thought that maybe committing to this group wasn't the right call, but I think that the style of play they have under Tibbs is certainly sustainable. Um, and I also think that you got the way that they had these contracts designed basically two years with a team option at the end for a lot of the guys they brought back, namely Derrick Rose, uh, Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, uh, Tosh Gibson. Um, I thought it was pretty, pretty shrewd considering um, they brought back guy, a lot of guys who kind of kept the success in the system that they had beforehand. Um, they were able to bring in Kemba Walker instead of having to pay the 74 million over two years that Boston have to, they're taking a much more reasonable $18 million deal over two years, which I think is okay. Um, especially when he's playing alongside Derrick Rose in tandem with him. Um, I thought that was pretty good, especially when you consider that Alfred Payton was a starting point guard for most of last year. So you definitely getting an upgrade. However you slice that by bringing in Kemba Walker. And then of course, Derrick Rose, who took over from the second half of the season, um, Evan Fournier can start between RJ Barrett and Randall, who they extended for those four years, $117 million um, contract, which I think considering the type of off the bounce juice that he showed and maybe not being a, a guy that you want as your only sole offensive weapon to go far, but a guy who obviously has some additional versatility offensively they can bring to the table and is going to be used um, for most of his prime. That I think that's pretty solid. I think that what you're looking at, obviously, is how much do you buy into the guys that New York brought back? I can definitely understand the trepidation on your end for that. So far, the Knicks have been playing solidly, so I'm definitely um, still okay with them. I did not think they'd finish high in my uh, preseason kind of outlook. I thought they'd be more in the middle of the back half of the pack, only because those guys are solid, and that definitely means, in my mind, a playoff spot, but doesn't mean much of improvement in terms of going further than that. But... Um, yeah, I get why you have them down. I think at the end of the season, it'll be interesting to look back on this squad and see kind of where they ended up relative to our expectations. But I think considering where they were this offseason and what they ended up doing, like, why not? This is the first competent team they've had in a while. Continue that success. Keep those guys. You bring in Kemba Walker. You bring in Evan Fournier to juice up the offense a little bit more, which was a problem last year. Tibbs is going to definitely make sure they play defense. You still have Emmanuel quickly and uh, Obi Toppin. We're going to continue that defensive mindset. I, I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I feel like if they had success in the playoffs, then yeah, run it back and upgrade marginally. But they in the playoffs, they had such bad shooting. They couldn't space the floor. And then, like, they let Veggie Bullock walk, like your best shooter. Like, I understand Fournier and Campbell both could shoot. And move the ball, like, take the ball to the rack, you know? Yeah. Like, Reggie couldn't do that. But, like, they had no they, – they were figured out by the time it was the playoffs by a team that wasn't great defensively in the Hawks. So, I just – I don't see the success this season based off what they did. Um, so, that's my biggest thing with them. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong because I just I – don't, I don't buy what they did last year. And, again, I think a lot of teams in the East, like Miami got better than them. I was hoping Boston, now that Stevens was gone, would have more continuity and they'd be better than them. Mm-hmm. Atlanta's clearly better than them at this point. So, like, I just think so many teams, I think the Wizards and Hornets both got better. Pacers went healthy might be better. Toronto, who knows, they're still wishy-washy. And Siakam's just coming back now. So, like, I don't know how good the Knicks are in the East hierarchy. And now, like, the avenue to get a star is just that much more difficult. 
That's true. That's true. I, and again, I guess you're hoping that, of course, I mean, if you're a Knicks fan or you're hoping that, hey, the group that they have right now and the success they have right now, um, combined with a relatively weak free agent class next season will make it so that it doesn't mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. But you definitely are hoping that. And also the fact that, of course, Walker and Rose, extremely productive when they are on the court, but they aren't the most durable pair of uh, point guards in the world. So okay. definitely and something there. And again, they do have guys like Hassan and shit. Like, you could always package Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, and Emmanuel quickly for Bradley Beal or Zach Levine if one of them really want to go there this summer. That's true. So, and that's there as well. Very, very true. So yep. maybe, so I'm assuming that's their strategy. Like, okay, we still have enough guys that we could always do a signing trade. So let's just get guys in now and worry about the future later, which is something the Knicks haven't done in years. So, yeah, that's true. Hey, man, this, I mean, this has been fun. I uh, definitely love the deep dive aspect that listeners can expect to hear um, from Stephen here on the Birds Rights podcast, but definitely a lot of fun kind of revisiting this with you a couple of weeks into the season, and I hope we get a chance to do this again. Yeah, again, you said you're willing to work with me on the mock trade deadline mock offseason. I'm definitely looking to expand it, so having a partner another um, set of eyes on some moves I'm thinking – Definitely. I'm looking forward to working with you in the future with that and other collaborations. Oh yeah, man. I expect a lot of us to, a lot of good stuff to come between the two of us here. Definitely like the way that you're operating here with your show and just your expansive, not only content, but expertise here. And I love it. We're going to do a lot more of it, man, for sure. Definitely make sure. Oh, appreciate you, man. Definitely. Uh, follow Steven on Twitter at bird rights pod, B I R D R-I-G-H-T-S pod P-O-D. Pretty much simple as it sounds. Just like to help spell it just in case. Um, definitely make sure to check all the great content. We have another show that we just did. Like I said, really extensive show. Um, dropping around the same time, so definitely look out for that. Uh, as well as the other content that you're going to expect Stephen to put out for sure. Stephen, thank you again, man, for coming on. Definitely appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Listen, y'all, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. You can check out HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBall Tweets Online Hoop dash ball.com definitely got our basketball back the computers back nba still rolling we are gonna have some fun for steve and for myself we are frosty y'all stay frosty and i'll talk to y'all next time all right y'all This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.